Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 333 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, one of my best friends in the world. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week, my man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. There's a lot to go over, man. There really is. There's upsets. There's bad, poor officiating once again. It breaks my heart to say. We're going to start here, though, um, with one of the many upsets of the weekend. It took place on Friday, last Friday, February 25th. Uh, We're in March now. It's amazing how quick everything's flying by. But let's go to this one. It took place at the White Sands Event Center in Plant City, Florida, USA. Um... So yeah, main event actually as well. I said it on last week's show, I gave it a mention. I didn't expect much from this fight card. I didn't actually tune in, but I saw the result. Kana Islam, who is an undefeated fighter. Um, I said, I think I think he was, I can't remember where he was born now, but I think he's got the citizenship um, from Kazakhstan. He's been moved around. Anyway, 28-0, bit of a padded record. He got in there with Jimmy Kelly, who I... Again, didn't mean any disrespect, but said he's probably one of the worst world title challengers in recent years. He got stopped by Liam Smith. Um, anyway, he got in with Kana Islam and managed to upset the odds. A majority decision win over 10 rounds there for the vacant WBO global middleweight title. Um, very surprised that they actually gave it to the away fighter in a close fight like that. Again, I didn't see it. Maybe it wasn't close at all. But Jimmy Kelly was over the moon. And that is a huge, huge win for a guy, really, that I guess kind of needed a win. Because he's 25-2. and two, Now he's 26-2. and two, But his career just isn't going anywhere. Former world title challenger. Doesn't... Um, you know, have a contract with a big promoter, with a big network, and he's kind of had to just take the hard path, I guess, he got his chance at a world title, wasn't nowhere near that level, perhaps he's gone away and improved, um, and yeah, it's a sensational win, so I'm pleased for him, and I gotta say, I did not see it coming at all, um, Moving out now, another big upset that I only just learned about this week because I didn't even, um, I I forgot it was on, I didn't tune in, I didn't watch it and I'm literally um, reading it now and and I heard about it just a few hours ago. So I haven't seen the fight. If anyone's seen it and wishes to share their views on the fight with me, please send it in. Guillermo Rigondo losing out in Dubai at the Dubai Marina, Rigondo now 20-3, and three, a unanimous decision loss over 10 rounds against the completely unknown Vincent Astrolabio, who's now 17-3. and three. Rigondo was even down in round 8, it was for the vacant WBC international bantamweight title. Um, again, I have no comment on it, but I'm absolutely shocked to see this. Again, Rigondo is one of those Cubans who have... Uh, you know, the question marks over their age and stuff like that. But to lose to a completely unknown guy when Rigondo was, 
you know, a very good world-level fighter and, you know, very hard to beat. And even in his last fight, I mean, many people thought he won that fight. That was at world title level there. To lose to this guy and get dropped as well. I'm just, I'm completely shocked reading that. Um, oh, boy. I, I kind of have been dreading coming to this card. The SSE Hydro, Glasgow, Scotland, United Kingdom. This one over here, of course, live on Sky Sports. Uh, let's please start with the undercard because that is somewhere I think, uh, you know, will will be a positive start at least. Um, so a win for Nick Campbell in a fantastic heavyweight fight against Jay McFarlane. Uh, Nick Campbell now 5-0, still undefeated. Jay McFarlane 12-6. Um, unbelievable the amount of weight he's put on, by the way. He was down in round seven, um, and yeah, TKO'd. It was for the vacant Scottish area heavyweight title. That's the first time that belt has been contested for in over 70 years. So they've got a Scottish uh, heavyweight champion now. That man is Nick Campbell, I think a former rugby player. Um Rabisi Ramirez picking up a TKO in round three against Eric Donovan. Eric Donovan now 14 and 2. Uh, Rabisi Ramirez now 9 and 1, his 10th pro fight. Um, he looked very good. I think the money for him to get the stoppage win was pretty much free money. It was printing money. And he had him down in the first round. And strange finish, really, in round three. It looked like the shot clipped Eric Donovan in like the shoulder, but. He was kind of ducking down, so it was it was kind of weird, the angle. But it looked to me like he hit him in the shoulder. But apparently, and it, it must have been, I think it hit him in the temple because his balance was all over the place. And, um, yeah, Ramirez just had way too much class. It was a bit of a mismatch. And I couldn't believe that some people thought that Donovan had a chance or the odds were kind of close. Um, yeah, so I bet on Ramirez for the stoppage. John Doherty with a win as well now, 12-1, and one, a KO in round two against Jordan Grant, who's now 4-2. and two. Um, A draw on the undercard as well between Ebony Jones and a lady called Efticia Kafapuli, who's now 4-3 and three with a draw points. Draw there over six two-minute rounds. And yeah, uh, the main event, the main event, Josh Taylor now 19-0. and oh, He's he somehow kept his O. Um, a split decision win over 12 rounds against Jack Catterall. Now 26 and 1. Both guys friends of the show. Um, scorecards 113, 112 for Jack Catterall from Howard Foster. 114, 111 for Josh Taylor from Ian John Lewis. And 113, 112 the scorecard from Victor Lachlan of Scotland. Um, so yeah, Taylor was down in the eighth round and he had a point deducted in or just after I think it was round 11 uh, like in between rounds so it counted as round 11 and Catterall had a point deducted which shouldn't have even been a point deduction by the way I didn't feel uh, in in round 10 so the fight itself was a real shocker because I've got to say it I didn't give Catterall much of a chance at all um I, I thought that maybe Taylor would stop him, but my kind of heart of hearts pick was that Josh Taylor would win on points. And Josh Taylor's a guy that receives higher praise, you know. Um, we, we say him and Tyson Fury, doesn't really matter which way around you put it, they are the two best fighters pound for pound in Britain. Um, 
Catterall, a guy that's kind of had to wait patiently, he's been around the block, he's done a lot of sparring with various different people around the country, around the world I should say, he's mixed it with Canelo, mixed it with Floyd Mayweather, however, he has managed to compile a record of 26-0 up until the weekend, without really kind of having the big mega fights, you know, he, he wasn't a household name, he's not a household name, um... You know, his best win was probably O'Hara Davies, something like that. You know, for his record, he was kind of padded, I've got to say. Um, you know, to get to 26-0 and and have the, the best guy on your record as O'Hara Davies. No disrespect to O'Hara Davies. But, you know, it wasn't amazing. And uh, Josh Taylor is the complete other way around. I mean, 18-0 and he was. And in his 18 fights, there's, you know, about 10 of the opponents, or, or well, that's maybe a stretch, about five of them are better than... O'Hara Davies. So everyone favoured Cat. Uh, sorry, Taylor to win the fight. Some people thought it was going to be easy. Some people thought it was going to be a bit tight. But pretty much no one, you know, was favouring Catterall. Anyway, Catterall starts the fight excellently. Um, he was outboxing Josh Taylor, and it was clever. When Josh Taylor was coming on the inside, he would tie him up. Um, you know, he was outboxing him, not like hugely like uh, like putting a dent in him kind of thing, but just doing enough, just doing enough, just doing enough. Very clever, very clever. You could see that he was kind of, you know, um, not overusing any energy, and he was thinking about the later rounds as well. You know, it's a, obviously a championship fight. Um, when he drops Josh Taylor in round eight, it was like a chopping left hand. I was stunned because Taylor... You know, has been in there with with you know big punchers like you know Ramirez, like Progray, certainly. Oh my God, never really been hurt by these guys. And Jack Catterall doesn't. I mean, you know, apparently he's a big puncher, but his record doesn't suggest it massively. And especially at this kind of level, there's no proof of him being a puncher whatsoever. So he puts Taylor down. Um, as we know, I think Taylor had been struggling with the weight. I mean, I'm not making excuses, but I think, yeah, he had been struggling with the weight. Fair enough. But, you know, there's nothing to do with Catterall. Catterall gets credited with a knockdown. It's a, it's a great knockdown. Um, I was shocked at the defense of Taylor all night, pretty much. I'd never seen his defense so leaky. The straight 1-2 from Catterall's southpaw stance. Obviously, it was southpaw versus southpaw, but that straight 1-2 pretty much worked every single time. Um, a lot of people had it five rounds to zero after five rounds to Jack Catterall. I wasn't strictly scoring it, but I think I had it about 4-1 to Catterall, something like that. Then, of course, that leaves seven other rounds. That's round six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, right? So that's seven other rounds. A lot of people, like I say, had it five to, 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 to zero for Catterall. So those other seven rounds there, one of them is a knockdown round in, in, in round eight. Let's just pretend that happened in round six, right? So we've got it 5-0, or let's just say 4-1. Let's say 4-1 to, uh, to Catterall. I think that is the best-case scenario, in my opinion, for Josh Taylor, giving him one round in the, in, the, in the first five. I don't think you could have given him two. Let's just give him... Um, let's see how we get on. Let's give him one round. So five rounds have been elapsed. It's 4-1 to Catterall. Going into round six now, um, let's pretend that the knockdown happened there. So it happens, now Catterall all of a sudden isn't 4-1 up, he's 6-1 up, right? Because it's a 10-8 round. So then Josh Taylor would need two rounds, he'd need to win two rounds in a row to 
cancel out that knockdown, that 10-8 that 10-8 round. I hope I'm not confusing people here. So let's say he takes round seven and eight. So now we've got nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So that's four rounds there. There's a point taken off in one of the rounds. Let's pretend that was the next round. A point was taken off of Catterall. Then the following round, a point is taken off of Josh Taylor. So they both cancel themselves out. Then it leaves two other rounds. Let's just give them both to Taylor. He still loses the fight there. You know, he still loses the fight by a point. And that's at the that's that's the very best you can give him. You know, um, I've seen people, you know, all over Twitter going absolutely crazy. Um, there's a there's a pub, a local pub to, to Jack Catterall's changed the name of the pub. And they've changed it, I believe, to Catterall's Arms or something like that. The uproar after this has been incredible. Um, literally, everyone has gone crazy. And I'm talking about the most proudest Scottish people. There's there's people that are, you know, on fight week were, were saying some crazy things. Saying, oh, you know, um, Brooke Khan happened last weekend. All the, all the English people loved it because they're, you know, they're both English. Now, the very next week, we've got a proper fighter here. You know, an undisputed world champion. Where's the hype? Why does no one care? Is it because he's Scottish and not English? I don't buy that stuff for a moment. I just think Brooke Khan are both, you know, huge, huge names. Way bigger names than Josh Taylor, unfortunately. And that's both of them are bigger than Josh Taylor. Brooke is a bigger name than Josh Taylor. Certainly worldwide. Um, certainly in England, to be honest. I mean, he's been in there in big pay-per-view fights on, on, ter- on not terrestrial TV, on, on pay-per-view. You know, he's been in there with, with, with Golovkin. He's had the, the, the rivalry with Khan, which, you know, having a rivalry with Khan makes you big anyway. So those two are huge names. Jack Catterall doesn't even, he's not even invited to the party. He's not a name at all going into this fight. So it's just literally Josh Taylor's fan base. So it was nowhere near the same kind of fight. Hence the fact it wasn't on pay-per-view. Josh Taylor, is he a better fighter than Khan and Brook? Absolutely he is. Absolutely. Certainly at this point in their careers. I mean, he's he's a tremendous fighter. But he doesn't have the the you know the, the same appeal to the to the to the casual fans. He's not a, as big of a star as those two guys, and he didn't have the right dance partner in Jack Catterall for the fight to be bigger. So some people just seem to have a problem understanding that, thinking it's some kind of racism because he was Scottish or something like that. I'm not buying that for a second. That's my opinion. You can agree or disagree, whatever. Um, you know, they get it on. Obviously, it takes place in Scotland. The crowd is with Josh Taylor. Jack Catterall um, has been waiting three years, okay, three years for his shot. He's been in that number one position for three years he even agreed to step aside while Josh Taylor unified the belts with the other undefeated champion, Jose Ramirez, back in May. He took step aside money. He flew out there to the US, watched the fight ringside on the promise that he would get the shot at the winner. Obviously, Josh Taylor wins the fight and then the fight comes around. So three years he's been waiting. And we know every single boxer, when they walk into the gym for the first time, their dreams to become a world champion. He gets a chance to become the champion of the world with four different organizations, all four. So he doesn't get a chance to become world champion, but undisputed world champion. This is incredible for him. He's waited three years, gets a chance to fight for the, for the, for the undisputed world titles. Obviously, if you win the fight, your next fight, you're making mega, 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 mega money, life-changing money. You'll never need to work again in your life. Your kids will never need to work in their lives. Um, 
And he goes over to Scotland, puts his undefeated record on the line, and gets completely and utterly robbed in what I would say is one of the worst robberies I've ever seen. It's certainly top three. And I watch a lot of boxing. There's some horrendous robberies I've seen over the years. This is one of the worst I've ever seen and ever will see. And like I say, it speaks volumes when the proudest and most passionate Scottish boxing fans and ex-boxers, I don't want to say any names, are actually saying, as as proud as I am as, as being Scottish, I cannot, cannot understand that decision. I cannot be a bias on this one. I can't be silent on this one. I've got to speak up and say there's no way in the world he won the fight. It was disgusting. Josh Taylor straight away said, I'm going to be moving up. So that means he's going to be vacating all four belts. They're all going to go four separate ways. Even if Jack Catterall, on the back of this, on the back of the backlash, is mandated to be, to you know, to fight for one of the vacant titles. It's not the same. It's not the same at all. Really, he should be right now, as we're speaking, he should be the undisputed, undefeated, super lightweight world champion. And in his next fight, he would be making millions. But instead of that... He is probably suffering with mental health problems right now. Um, he's devastated. He's in disbelief at what's happened to him. You know, the whole world is is reaching out to him from all over the world. I'm not just talking about UK and, and Scotland and, you know, Britain. I'm talking about America. Anyone that saw the fight is, is you know, it's gut-wrenching just watching the fight. Let alone imagining how this young man must feel. So he's had his dream ripped away from him, his undefeated streak ripped away from him, and millions of pounds ripped away from him, all in one evening, in front of absolutely everyone, thousands and thousands of people that that were there in attendance, that watched it on TV, that have watched it back on YouTube, the entire fight is on YouTube, the whole world has seen what's happened to him, and nothing, nothing is going to happen to to you know to make up for what he's suffered nothing nothing's going to happen at all the best he can hope for is that he becomes mandatory for one of the four titles and he gets paid i don't know maybe a hundred thousand something like that for for a world title uh you know for a vacant world title fight if he's lucky again i said he's not a big name his followers have shot up after this, and he deserves that. But um, there's no consolation for what he's going through right now. There's there's nothing, actually, that can be done. Um, the only thing that could have been done is Josh Taylor could have given him a rematch. That's the very least I think he should have done. And a lot of people are saying if he's a true champion, even if he is struggling with the weight, you've got to do it. You've got to do it, even to yourself. Because afterwards, in the ring, Josh Taylor said he thought he, thought he won the fight. And he said, I think Jack Catterall knows that he didn't win the fight either, you know. It was just, I couldn't believe that he acted like that, to be honest. There's no way in the world that he can truly believe that, especially if he watches it back. Um, but yeah. I I am not on board with some of the abuse that's gone to Josh Taylor. It isn't his fault. The judges scored it that way. He did his job fighting in the ring. His family, his wife, um, you know, they've had death threats. They've got children, young children. They've had death threats. They've had to, you know, suffer heaps of, of online abuse from, from everywhere, really. Um, you know, some vile things have been said. 
I can't get on board with that. You know, that's just dead wrong. But yeah, this is the kind of um, reaction that, that people are, are, are having here to the, this disgraceful robbery that obviously wasn't Josh Taylor's fault, I must reiterate. But this is how bad it's hurt people that are not even involved with the, the sport of boxing. They don't even know Jack Catterall personally. And I've interviewed Jack Hatterall, I think, twice, you know, since I've been doing the podcast. Only twice, because his, his career's been, you know, a little bit slow and steady. And um, I was absolutely gutted for him. I was left speechless. Ben Shalom, the promoter of the card, actually said he felt embarrassed and angry and said he wants to do everything he can to try and put it right. I don't know if they can put it right. We know how the organizations are, the WBO, WBA, WBC, IBF. Can't see them all agreeing with the same thing. They never have historically. And um, I don't know what's got to happen here, but it was disgraceful. I could talk about it all day. Um, just devastated for Jack Catterall, you know. I hope he's okay. I really hope he's okay because I, I, I'm going to just say it and it's deep, but I feel like, you know, People commit suicide every single day for much less than what that man must be feeling right now. His whole world has been ripped apart uh, in front of the world and there's nothing that can be done to get that moment back. It's never going to happen for him. So, um, yeah, devastated. I'm angry talking about it now, to be honest with you. Um, I can't even remember my train of thought. I've completely lost my head. But, um, yeah, disgraceful, disgraceful, disgraceful. Terrible officiating once again in Britain. Robert Smith has come out, the British Boxing Border Control director has come out and said that he watched the fight. He felt that Jack Catterall nicked it, but it wasn't a robbery in his opinion, which pretty much to me translates to nothing's going to happen to these judges and they're going to be free to make terrible mistakes once again and I don't even want to bring you in on this Eddie because I know that you've talked to me before you know you you're very passionate as a fighter against these 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 officials that just sit there watching a fight from one angle of the ring and you know whatever they write down on their piece of paper completely uh you know is life-changing for both men in the ring you know it can go bad it can go good um someone has to lose a fight of course but we see it almost week in week out worldwide uh, at least once a week you know, a, a shocking, shocking scorecard that ruins somebody's life and and takes away their livelihood. 100%, man. It happens. I mean, I don't got to go in on the fight. I don't really have to talk about it. Um, But yeah, it's it's so unfortunate, man. You put so much effort, so much work uh, into, you know, these, these fights. And then you get into a, you go into the fight, do the job, you know, you your, all your hard work is paid off. You feel like you, you've done what you need to do to win. Everybody else in the in the arena thinks so. Most people on earth think so. But then all of a sudden, you get these three people or four people or whatever the number of judges is. I mean, three people in this situation uh, that see the fight in a different in a different way, or let's just say two of the three. Yeah. And, and it's just like, how is that possible? how everyone across the globe seen the fight one way and then these two people didn't. It just, it just makes you, it, it's, it's, you got to start looking at corruption man, and what's going on with these things. And, and it just, it just really gives the sport what they call black eye. It makes it rough. You know what I mean? It's just like you, you, you can now say, okay, well I'm fighting, but I don't know if I'm going to win. You know what I'm saying? Even if you know you're going to win, you're the better fighter. You know what I mean? But you, don't know you're gonna win. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like after my fight with, with Tomas, I felt like I did enough to win. I felt like I, you know, it I did what I could do, 
all I could do, but then the rest of it's in the hand of the judges. And it's just it's so unfortunate that we don't, we sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. It's, it's sad and it hurts. It truly does hurt the sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, if you do get any time to watch that fight back, it was, it was oh, infuriating and just, I'm, I'm just lost for words. You know, I remember when it happened freshly, I, I, I was so, I was in such a shock. I just froze. Um, I couldn't speak. I picked up my phone because instantly I'm going to tweet my reaction to what's gone on. You know, I do that sometimes. I pick up the phone, send a tweet, and I didn't even know what to write. I just picked up the phone. My fingers just just froze as well, and I was just in disbelief. I didn't even know what to type. I was complete. It was almost as if I had been had, had been on the end of the the robbery. You know, it was just. Even now, I'm just I'm lost for words. I'm lost for words, and I just feel so sorry for Jack Catterall. You know, ah oh, man, I just I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. We'll have to leave it there. We'll have to move on. But you know, uh, man, I don't know what to say, man. And as for Josh Taylor, I mean, he's going to move up to welterweight. If he's going to be that kind of fighter at welterweight, then his days are numbered because you know. He didn't look the same guy. Like I say, it probably was the weight, you know, playing a part, the weight cut or whatever. Even though it's funny because before the fight, he, he tweeted a picture of him weighing in for the Ramirez fight, which is his last one, which he became under, you know, the one, the last one before this, which he became undisputed. Um, a picture of him at the weigh-in and a picture of him at this weigh-in for this fight against Cator, and he looks way more ripped, way more in shape, and he actually said... I've done the weight right this time and wait until you see me tomorrow night and how strong I'm going to look. And he looked the weakest he's ever looked um, in terms of his performance. Uh, Jack Catterall's tactics, though, I mean, unbelievable game plan. I think from Jamie Moore as well. I mean, wow, hats off to those guys. You know, round of, of applause to those guys. But yeah, they executed an excellent game plan. I think Jack Catterall, some of those people saying he didn't do enough in the later rounds. Are you are you kidding? He didn't need to do anything in the later rounds. He actually just needed to stay on his feet um, and not get knocked down pretty much from round, um, certainly when we got to round eight. I mean, again, 5-0 or 4-1 after five rounds. Um, even if he lost a couple rounds in, in the second half of the fight, or even three or four or five rounds, whatever, he still managed to, of course, get a knockdown in round eight, um, which, by the way, I think the judges scored that a 9-9 round as well, by the way, um, which you don't see often at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So, um, yeah, terrible. But, um, yeah, even if he did take his foot off the gas, he could afford to. The fight was won. As soon as he got that knockdown in, in round eight, the fight was won. He didn't need to do anything in 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, as long as he didn't didn't go down on the floor. And bear in mind, in 9, 10, 11, and 12, he got a 10-8 round because of a point deduction. And Josh Taylor got a 10-8 round because of, of, of a point deduction. That only leaves two other rounds. It was impossible to give him the fight. But they've robbed him. They've robbed him and... I don't know what to say. Is it corruption or just incompetence? I don't know. It's, it's got to be one of them, though, because it's you know, honestly, a chimpanzee could have got, could have got, could have scored that fight right. But moving on, um, yeah, moving on to to out to the states now. I'm gonna have to take a sip of water here, Eddie, because I need to cool down. There we go. I'm back. Okay, 
Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas in Nevada, USA. This one on Showtime, uh, the PBC here. Um, some crazy upsets actually on the card. Let's talk about the undercard first, though. Um, friend of the show, Gary Antoine Russell, going in with a record of 14 and 0, 14 KOs. We had him on last week's show. He got in there with former WBC world champion Victor Postel, 31 and 4 now. Uh, it was for the vacant WBA Continental America's Super Lightweight title. Gary Antoine Russell now 15-0 with 15 KOs. A TKO in the 10th and final round. Only about 30 seconds left in the fight. Gary Antoine Russell did hurt Victor Postel with a shot, but Victor Postel was completely clear-headed, and it was an absolute stinker of, of a stoppage from the referee there, Michael Tegger. Um... A disgraceful stoppage. It was it was so bad, and it really annoys me because um, Victor Postel was okay the entire fight. He wasn't hurt or anything like that, or buzzed the entire fight. This is a guy who's never been stopped. He's been in there with Josh Taylor, been in there with Ramirez, been in there with Terence Bug Crawford, and he's getting in there with Gary Antoine Russell, who's a friend of the show, who I wanted to win the fight, but it seemed to me like the referee just wanted Gary Antoine Russell's knockout streak to keep going because the stoppage was terrible. There's 30 seconds left in the fight. Guy's never been stopped. First time he's been hurt in the fight and you've jumped in, and as soon as he jumped in, Victor Postel's looking at him in, dis in disbelief, the referee, like, what the hell are you doing? And of course, right after the fight, Victor Postel uh, has got to fly back to the Ukraine, strap up and start defending his country. And um, I think his wife and I think his twin sons, are, 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 you know, are right there in Ukraine, obviously, where it's a, a very dangerous place to be right now. So, yeah, you know, even the fact that he had the fight, you know, he probably shouldn't have been in that ring. But to see him get stopped on a BS stoppage, you know, like as if this guy hasn't got enough rubbish going on in his life right now. That made me a bit sick, to be honest. And I do like Gary Antoine Russell, as I said. I'm, I'm happy that he's still 15-0 with 15 KOs. Still got the 100% knockout streak. But I don't think he deserved a stoppage win um, based on what we saw there. He may well have completely swarmed him in the last 30 seconds and got the stoppage. And then, great, it would have been you know, a really good stoppage. And, um, and you know, um, it would have been fantastic if it was a legitimate, you know, unarguable stoppage but it wasn't he was still on his feet for god's sake he got kind of staggered into the ropes a little bit and he was completely clear-headed it was it was terrible from michael tager um elsewhere on the card joeen and Cahas lost his ibf world super flyweight title against the completely unknown undefeated fernando martinez who's now 14 and 0 Another complete shocker. Not sure what's happened with Joe in Ancahas. That's the second time he's lost. 33-2 and two with two draws. Um, I think there was a few fights on the horizon for him. I think he was linked. I'm sure it was it was um, Ancahas who, who was... Was it was it him who's been... It was one Filipino who's been linked with the Nonito Donaire fight. I'm sure it was Ancahas. Um... No, no, it was John Real Casemiro, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, anyway, Ancahas loses his world title there. Um, doesn't seem like the same kind of fighter that we saw a few years ago. I think he fought Jamie Conlon. He looked really good there. Um, anyway, moving on, another shocker, the main event, Chris Colbert, 16-1. and um, He was supposed to be fighting for the world title, but of course his opponent, his original opponent, the world champion, pulled out the fight, in stepped a late replacement, who only had about three weeks' notice, Hector Garcia, who was undefeated. And it turned out that um, 
yeah, he was a bit better than we all thought because no one really knew who he was. He's now 15 and 0. He had Colbert down in round seven. Um, yeah, 16 and 1 now. Colbert looks like he probably won't get that shot to fight for a world title now. I don't think he deserves it. Maybe a rematch can go on here, but. Almost lost every single round to Hector Garcia, and being dropped like that as well, I mean, I am shocked. I actually fell asleep during this fight, not because the fight was boring, but um, I, I just fell asleep, I was tired, and um, the fight wasn't overly exciting, but, you know, I, I fell asleep about four rounds in, and... Um, yeah, Colbert was losing everything. I was like, whoa, like, what's going on here? So credit to Garcia, and hopefully he gets something big off the back of that. Maybe signed to a to a, to a nice big promoter or something. It'd be nice. Uh, this one took place on Sunday at the O2 Arena, Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. Let's talk about the undercard first. Um, Campbell Hatton with a win. He's now 6-0. A good win, actually. A TKO in round six against Joe Ducker, who's now 9-9 nine and nine with two draws. Um, Dempsey McKean of Australia with a win now, 21-0, and 0, a win there against Ariel Bracamonte, former Dave Allen opponent, he shut him out over eight rounds on points there, uh, Dempsey McKean, um, Fabio Wardley with a win over the American Daniel Martz, Fabio Wardley now 13-0, and 0, a TKO, not a TKO, an actual KO in round two against Daniel Martz, who's now 20-10 and 10 with a draw, Martz came and had a good go in the first round, landed some big shots on Wardley, I was thinking, whoa, are we going to have an upset here, but then in the second round, as soon as he pretty much got hit with a good shot, he took a knee, and I thought, oh my god, he's actually going to stay down. It was a little bit Eric Molina-esque. And he got back up and then he pretty much quit when he got hit again. So I'd say a little bit of a quit job. And someone on Twitter said to me, maybe they should make the fight between Daniel Martz and Eric Molina next. And I chuckled because that's exactly what I was thinking um, when, when it happened. So I like that fight. It would be funny and I'd sign up for it because I like weird fights. Um, elsewhere on the card, Galau Yafai made his pro debut, the Olympic gold medalist. He is now 1-0. A TKO in round 5 against Carlos Bautista, who's now 10-5 with a draw. It was scheduled for 10 rounds, but he didn't need all 10. He managed to do it in 5 for the vacant WBC international flyweight title. Um, Anthony Fowler with a win as well. He was able to beat Lucas Masik, who's now 27-4 with a draw. Anthony Fowler now 16-2, I believe, coming off that loss to Liam Smith in what was a really good fight. Um, he was a tough guy, that, that Polish guy here. Um, Karim Gwerfi as well, defending his EBU European featherweight title against Jordan Gill. Uh, Gill down once in round seven, and Gwerfi knocked out um, in, in the ninth round by Jordan Gill. Um, I tell you what, this fight here was another one uh, that that really, if you haven't seen it, you probably should have a look at it. The reason I say it is because you won't see many comebacks like this uh, very often. You don't see many comebacks like this very often. One thing I'm, I just want to say, though, is that Lee McGregor stopped Karim Gwerfi back in 2021 um, in one round from body shots, right? In, I think it was from body shots, but he stopped him in one round. The very fight after that, Karim Gwerfi goes away and wins um, wins um, the, the featherweight European title two weights up. So he moves up two weight classes, wins the European title straight away in the next fight. He wins, you know, an EBU European title back. 
And it was against Andoni Gargo, who's not a bad fighter, the Spaniard. He's not a bad fighter, but I just couldn't believe that he even had the opportunity to become European champion in the fight after losing in one round for the European title at two weight classes up. So I don't know how he managed to pull that off. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, he lost the European title in a round to, to Lee McGregor. So how the hell is he European champion again? Where did that come from? I forgot this fight had took place because it was a bit of an obscure card down in Marbella. And it wasn't um, it certainly wasn't televised in the UK or anything like that. But he managed to pick up the title on a split decision. Anyway, he comes back against Jordan Gill. Jordan Gill, I think, has his limitations a little bit. Another guy who kind of reminds me of Zelfa Barrett, the way he padded out the record, then had a step up and got annihilated, really, from an unknown uh, Mexican fighter, Mario Tinoco. And then he blamed it on having food poisoning. Okay, we'll let him off there. Come back with a good few wins. Looked okay again. But when he stepped up to this kind of level again... Um, you know, he was he was found in a world of trouble against Karim Gwerfi, who, when we get the measuring stick out, got blown away by Lee McGregor. So straight away, Jordan Gill is struggling in this fight big time. And there was a point where he's pinned on the ropes, his legs have gone because he's been hit on the chin flush so many times. And his face is blowing up. Like his face, you know, you know, both eyes are swollen, one of them is is almost shutting, it's getting kind of hard to watch. And he's pinned on the ropes. And his trainer, Dave Caldwell, is saying, stay on the ropes until your legs feel okay again. So he spent about two or three rounds just literally standing in the same position on the ropes, trying to parry the shots, trying to, to avoid the punches that were raining in on him. And um, and um, his opponent, Karim Gwerfi, was just completely going for it, throwing the kitchen sink. And I guess... In a way, he did end up rope-a-doping him. And I don't like to use the rope-a-dope when it's not done as good as Muhammad Ali. That is the real rope-a-dope against George Foreman, the rumble in the jungle. There's nothing been quite like it since. I don't think Muhammad Ali was on the verge of being stopped. He wasn't being hit clean. A lot of the, the work from, from George Foreman was to the body. Um, but here, this guy's face was busted up. That's not the same as Muhammad Ali. His face wasn't busted up. Um, and literally, they were on the verge of stopping that. And it was it was terrible. And he was taking big shot after big shot after big shot. You know, Karim Gwerfi was winning the fight. And then off the ropes, he comes with a huge right hand. And Gwerfi pretty much walked into it. And that was the end of the fight. So it's, it's one of the most craziest comebacks in a fight. It reminded me a little bit of Andy Lee against John Jackson, if people remember that one. That's one of my favorite comeback knockouts ever. When... Um, when Andy Lee kind of gets staggered into the ropes on the other side of the ring and John Jackson walks straight over to him in a straight line and gets pelted with that with that um that devilish left hook that Andy Lee possessed. Oh man, it was disgusting. Was it a left hook or was it a I think it might have been a right hand, I can't remember now. But anyways, unbelievable. So yeah, Jordan Gill's comeback knockout was certainly one to watch. And the main event, Lawrence Acoli, um, now 18-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 against Mikhail Sizlak, the Polish fighter, now 21-2. and 2. Very, very tough guy. I've been the distance now with Lawrence Acoli and, um, and Makabu. Down in the fifth round, it was a short kind of right hand to the chin. He went down on one knee and got straight back up. It was that kind of knockdown. It didn't seem like it bothered him too much. I don't think he was really overly hurt. Obviously, a defense of Akoli's WBO Cruiserweight World title. Um, 
very pleased with with Akoli. You know, he's gone from being a fighter who no one really liked watching fight because it was you know just grabbing and stuff like that. He loved a, a, a clinch and stuff. And since he's gone with Shane McGuigan, he's actually turned into quite an exciting fighter. But there were times in the fight where he got hit. He got hit. You know, he got he got hit quite flush by this guy who, by the way, I think he's a good fighter and I think can come again. But um, Lawrence Sokoli just seems to be, for me, improving all the time. Um, and I'm happy to see his journey unfold. I quite like Lawrence Sokoli. I remember picking against him when I thought Isaac Chamberlain could beat him. But, you know, to, to think where, where he's gone from, the journey he's been on since then, to become world champion, obviously we know his, his journey uh, famously started working in McDonald's. He was like a young, uh, a young chubby kid who got, I think, bullied for for his weight or whatever. And then he goes on to be like this tall, <laughs> I want to say skinny, this tall, long, uh, you know, lanky, six foot five, uh, you know, cruiserweight who, of course, has got a huge punch. Went to the Olympics on barely any amateur experience. Turns pro, wins a world title, double quick. And, you know, everything's going fantastic for him. So I'm pleased for him. I'm really pleased for him. And it was a great, great win against a good, tough fighter. And I, I think it's the kind of fight he will learn a lot in, um, especially if they're talking about the Maris Bradis fight next for Lawrence Ocoli. That is the fight to make at Cruiserweight. And I would love to see it. I think I'd probably favor Bradis over him, to be honest with you. But this is the kind of fight that I think he would need to bank these, you know, these twelve rounds to be ready for someone like Bradis. And I tell you what, he's got the size, he's got the punch power. We're going to see the game plan. I think will be very important against Bradis. And Shane McGuigan is, you know, he's probably one of the best, or is one of the best, to put the plan together. Um, but yeah, that's it though for the review part of the show. It's been quite long. Uh, the final thing for me to do in part one is to welcome our special guest this week. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA super lightweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Regis Progre. Regis, welcome back on the show, my brother. Yeah, brother, what's up with that, man? Um, thanks for having me back on, bro. How is everything? Everything's good, my friend. You're part of the furniture. You're on the intro every week, so of course you're. Uh, you, it's always a pleasure having you on. So Regis, we last spoke back in March, obviously 2021, uh, almost a year ago, just before that fight on the Jake Paul undercard against Ivan Redcatch, the crazy fight that thankfully got changed into a knockout win for you. Um, since then, though, Regis, everything's moved a bit slow. Hence, why we haven't spoken. What's been the reason behind that? I mean, I don't know, bro. I think, like, just, I guess, trying to find the right way to go, I guess. You know, like, I mean, it was a lot of things coming my way. And, you know, we had just, like, a lot of deals and a lot of offers and stuff coming my way. But it just nothing seemed like, I don't know, there was the right thing to do until, you know, the whole Probellum thing came along. And, you know, they told, for, for me, my, my main thing is that I want to be active. And, you know, nobody could promise me that I'm going to be active, you know. So, um, you know, when I when I the whole Probellum thing came about because they told me three things they told me I'll fight for a world championship again in 2022, I'll I'll stay active and I'll fight all around the world and you know that's that's three things that I definitely want to do, so and especially of course the staying active part, um you know so I think like this year 2022 I'll definitely be moving way quicker you know I I basically be catching up for lost time I think. 
Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions I was going to ask, obviously. You know, you had just one fight in 2020. I mean, some people didn't even fight, so that's you can't read into that too much. It was a crazy time in the world. Obviously, one fight in 2021. Um, I was hoping that we are going to see you at least at least two times in 2022. It sounds like that. Um, let's talk about this upcoming fight, Regis. It's been made. You're going to be boxing. You spoke about fighting around the world. First stop here, Dubai, March 19th against Tyrone McKenna. Um, how much do you know about Tyrone McKenna, Regis? Because if you didn't know anything about him, you were perhaps a matchmaker. You looked at his stats and saw that he's a six foot one southpaw at 140. Some people would say next, but you've taken this fight, of course. Yeah, I mean, that that's just, listen, bro, like for me, I told you, I want to be a world champion again, so it doesn't matter the name. Whoever they put in front of me, that's who I'll fight. I don't care. I just want to be a champion. So that's the name they gave me. So it's like, all right, that's cool. That's the name. You know, they told me I'll be, I could fight him. And then the, I think the whole thing came about it was when, um, of course, you know, me and Josh Taylor, we go, we go at it on Twitter sometimes. And I think I said something about Josh Taylor, and then he kind of jumped in. He said something, and I was just like, who the fuck is you? You know, and then... That's kind of when, um, you know, that's that's when I found out who he was. And, you know, I think it was a few months past and, you know, my manager told me that's who I might fight. I was like, sure, all right, let's let's make it happen and make the fight happen. And at first, I didn't know if it was going to really happen or not, but, you know, it seemed like it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, if I'm not making this up, I'm pretty sure I saw you tweet something that I think you'd gone to Dubai and said it's one of your favorite places. Am I making that up? No, you definitely not making it up, bro. I mean, Dubai is, is fire. Dubai is definitely like a, it, it's just a real, real nice place in Dubai. So just to be fighting over there, bro, like I just, you know, I can't, it's, it's definitely a special opportunity for me. And I just, you know, can't wait to go over there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I think, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, I saw you on the beach, a picture of you on the beach or something. But yeah, of yeah. course, you're going mm-hmm. back there. You're going back there now for business. Um, Talking of Tyrone McKenna, he's been down before off of body shots. Um, obviously, him being tall, you being a lot shorter than him here. Uh, sometimes mm. hitting a hitting a tall, skinny guy to the body is a great idea during a fight. Will we see you go into that body with your famously very hard hands? Oh uh, no, you go straight. You don't know where to go on. Right. You can go both, but straight. Um. My bad. People don't know directions in the car over here in LA. But um, nah, man. Yeah, I, it, whatever, whatever he gives me. I mean, body head, whatever. I'm just gonna for me. I go out there and I do me. I do what I gotta do, and it doesn't matter. You know where I'm gonna hit you. I'm I'm gonna hit him somewhere, and it's gonna hurt. Wherever I hit him, it's gonna hurt him. Okay. And I heard at one point that you were perhaps moving up to welterweight. Is that not happening now, or did I did I hear that wrong? No. I don't, yeah, you definitely had to hear that wrong because, um, yeah, I'm saying that. My, my, I told everybody, man, my goal is to be a champion again at 140. Before I go up to 147, my cha- my goal is to be a champion at 140. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even thinking about that until I become a champion at 140 again. Okay, I think a lot of people were maybe for some reason linking you with a fight against, I think it was Crawford at 147. I don't know where it came from, but maybe I don't know it's just... what. I think Bob Aram said that, man. Bob Aram was like, yeah, he can fight Crawford. I was like, I don't know what the hell Bob talking about because I ain't even going to 47. So Bob was just throwing names out there, I guess. But yeah, I'm not I'm not going to 47 until I'll be a champion to get on 140. And then after that, you know, I'll probably go up to 147. But, it, you know, for me, man, it all depends because right now it's a lot of smoke. It's a lot of big fights coming to 140. 
right now. I think 140 might be the, the hot division. You know, 47 was a hot division for a long time, but, you know, you got 140 is probably the next year, two years, 140 is going to be hot. So um, it all depends. I mean, I might stay at 140 or go to 147, but right now, before I even think about going to 147, I won't be a champion again at 140. And you just mentioned there there's some great fights taking place soon. I want to get your opinion on one here. Jose Ramirez, Jose Pedraza, 4th of March, the Battle of the Jose's. Who's going to be the best Jose? Oh, man, that's actually it's a, it's a good fight, man. It's a good it's a good tough fight for um for both of them. I would I would I would I think maybe um, Ramirez might be able to pull it off, but at the same time, man, that's a um, you know, that's a that's a tough fight. So um, it's a it's a it's a good and a, I think it's gonna be a good um, entertaining fight and a good pretty pretty even fight. But I Ramirez. Yeah, Ramirez. A lot of people saying that. I just think it's gonna be interesting to see how he comes back after his after his first loss. Um, also mm-hmm. on the undercard of the the fight that you're having, a guy that I think you told me about a few years ago. I hadn't heard of him till you mentioned him to me. Oshaki Foster is on the card as well. He gets in with. Uh, Mohamed Kuja Yakubov, uh, a bit of a mouthful to say his name, but um, that guy Yakubov, I think, ranked number two in the world with a WBO at, at super featherweight. Is this perhaps going right. to be Foster's breakout fight on a worldwide kind of scale? I spoke with him, bro, and I mean, this dude is like super talented, super special. So, yeah, um, I mean, I don't care who you put him at, put him in the in the ring with, bro. He's gonna like anybody he'll he'll beat anybody at that weight whatever weight he's at he'll beat anybody like that's just how talented he is so you know you're hearing it first from me he just you know he of course he he needed the you know the the machine behind him, the marketing more marketing and stuff behind him but i mean he's like like super super i spar with him and like he's way smaller than me and like he'll give me trouble sparring and stuff so it's that dude is like good real good that means a lot coming from you. I remember you telling me about the guy a few years ago, and I remember looking up his record, and it wasn't the prettiest looking record. And I wondered if perhaps you know his best work stays in the gym and doesn't really come out on fight night. But this is the kind of fight that I think will bring it out. Um, it's going to be exciting to see his fight as well of you as well as yours. Um, and just finally, Regis, as always, I like to throw it over to you if you've got any closing words, particularly to your fans here in the UK that you know firsthand absolutely love you. What's your closing message before we wrap it up, my man? First off, man, I love my I love my fans in the UK. Of course, always love my fans in the UK. Thank y'all for supporting me, man. When I came over there. You know, um, people just showed me, you know, the whole UK, they showed me a whole lot of love when I came over there. So I definitely, I love the UK. I don't know if I'll come fight there again, but I would definitely come. I want to come there for a vacation. For sure, I want to come there for a vacation one day and just, you know, highlight all my people out there. And I just, like I said, everything was, everything was cool, man. So like I said, thank y'all for supporting me, all of UK, everybody, all my fans, all that. And um, of course, I got love, bunch of love for the UK. No, absolutely. And if you do come back uh, for a fight, I think Lewis Ritson uh, is is a fight still there. Perhaps if you're coming for a vacation, I'll see you at the airport. (laughs) Uh, Regis, I just want to say it's it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you for your time. Best of luck, of course, for March 19th out there in Dubai. And I'm sure we'll speak sometime afterwards. Of course. Thank you, brother. Have a good one, bro. 
Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. It is official, April 23rd at Wembley Stadium. Tyson Fury, Dillian White on BT Sport box office. Um, they're, they're trying to ex- expand the um, you know the number of fans that can attend. They're trying to get to 100,000. And there were tickets on sale this week. They went on sale on Wednesday. And um, someone put up a screenshot on Twitter. This is incredible, Eddie, actually. You're going to like this. Um, They went on sale, I think, maybe 12 noon or 12.30, something like that. Someone I know went on the the ticket website, Ticketmaster, and joined the queue of people queuing up to buy tickets. But the problem is he had done this an hour and a half after they'd gone on sale. So obviously, you know, lots of tickets would have been sold in the first hour and a half. So he joins the queue an hour and a half later. So let's say this is, uh, I don't know, two o'clock, something like that. And he was in the queue and 167,000 people were in front of him on the queue. So (laughs) it would appear that it's going to sell out. We shall see. There's a lot of window shoppers. We know this. I don't know why they join the queue and make it trafficy for all the people that want to buy tickets. But, you know, there's going to be people on there, of course, buying. No one's going to just be buying one ticket. So if everyone bought one ticket, they would already uh, sell out 150% of the arena. But no one's going to be going on their own. People are going to be going in groups of, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Who knows? You know, lots of people are going to turn out for it. Will it completely sell out on the night? I'm not sure. I, I think I don't think so. To be honest, I actually don't think they're going to sell it out. Tickets start at £55 at the very top of the stadium in the worst view uh, possible. And you're going to need binoculars in Wembley Stadium to see the ring. But um, hopefully there'll be a big screen. And of course, it's going to be massive atmosphere. And if you were going to be staying at home paying £25, then you've saved that by going to the arena uh, and watching the fight live. So take that away from the, from the £55 and you've paid £30 on top of what you'd have paid if you stayed indoors to be there. So, um, yeah, it's a choice you can make. But, again, I think all the tickets have, have um, quote-unquote sold out, I believe. And people are already, of course, reselling them. But, anyway, mega event. And it's fantastic for that fight to, to take place. It is one of the biggest fights that can be made in heavyweight boxing, especially in the UK. And it's great to have it here in in, in London. Um Canelo Alvarez has signed a multi-fight deal with Matchroom and DAZN. Of course, he is signed straight away to fight Dimitri Bivol for Bivol's WBA light heavyweight world title. That one to take place on May 7th. What else do we have? What else do we have? Um, Yeah, Miguel Burchelt as well. Returning to the ring, I think, for the first time after losing his O... Um, no, not losing his though. He was already he already had a loss, didn't he? But he lost to Oscar Valdez. He got knocked out in the most brutal knockout of 2021. He gets in with former world title challenger Jeremiah Nakafila, who of course Shakur Stevenson boxed. I think it was early last year. So um, yeah, this is Miguel Bashelt's chance to come back with a bang. And if he stops Nakafila, he, he you know he does something that that. Um, that Shakur Stevenson didn't do because Stevenson didn't put him away or really even hurt him at any point in the fight. So Bashelt can come back and look good there with that opponent. That one is March 26. All the best to Nakafila, the Namibian policeman who owns a pub. We've had him on the show before. Cool guy. Um, that's it for the news, though. Moving on now to the preview part of the show. Just two cards to mention. They're both in the States. This one takes place on ESPN+. Plus. Let's start with this one. 
it's actually Friday night. Um, so tomorrow night, and on the card we have friend of the show Hector Tanahara, nineteen and one, coming off that loss to William Zapeda. He's in an eight rounder against Miguel Contreras, who's eleven and one. It's a good fight there, by the way. Also on the card we've got Gabriel Flores Jr., twenty and one, getting in with Abraham Montoya, who's twenty and two with a draw. We've also got Joet Gonzalez, former opponent. And the brother of Shakur Stevenson's ex-girlfriend, uh, yeah, Joet Gonzalez, twenty-four and two. As I say, that was quite confusing. He used to, he he he's the uh, the brother of Shakur Stevenson's ex ex-girlfriend, and of course they both famously fought for a world title in which Shakur Stevenson beat up his girlfriend's brother for the world title. Unbelievable. He's since left her, got with a new lady, and and has had a baby. Anyway. He gets in, Joet Gonzalez, with Jao Santissima, who is a former opponent of Emmanuel Navarrete. Yeah, Emmanuel Navarrete. He's 21 and 3. That one over 10 rounds could be interesting. But the main event is the Battle of the Jose's. Jose Ramirez, 26 and 1, coming off his first loss as a pro, losing back in May to Josh Taylor for the undisputed titles. Um. In that in that unification for all the belts in a twelve rounder here against Jose Pedraza, twenty nine and three, a fighter I've always been high on. To be honest with you, I think it's a lot closer than people think. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how Ramirez comes back after losing because he did lose. It was a close fight. He gave it his absolute all. It's not like he it's not like he got battered, but he did get dropped a couple of times, didn't he, in the fight? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back as well because Pedraza is. Probably the more experienced, you know, been in there with some good fighters and stuff like that. Still only has that one stoppage loss to Javante Davis back in 2017. But he's been in there with the likes of Vasyl Lomachenko, you know, and, and gone the distance with him. Been in there with Jose Zapida, you know, been the distance with him. And, yeah, he's he's coming off a decent little run, to be honest with you. So I really like that fight. And I, I'd like to see... I don't want to say who I'd like to see win. I don't really care, to be honest. I think Jose Ramirez has done a lot for charity. I like him because of that. But I've got a soft spot for Pedraza for absolutely no idea why. Uh, so, yeah, all the best to to, to both the Jose's there. Um, and this one takes place, a final card to mention. It's on the zone Saturday at the Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California, USA. It's unfortunate, but it looks like I'm not going to have a chance to use any of my, my uh, Mexican slash Spanish pronunciation here. It's unfortunate this week. I like I like doing it. On the undercard, the debut of Australia's Sky Nicholson, who is um, a female fighter. A lot of people really like the look of her. Um, she is having her pro debut here against Jessica Juarez, who's 3-0. That's over six two-minute rounds. Sky Nicholson is a little bit like the complete opposite of Ebony Bridges. Aside from they're both Australian, um, she is kind of, um, you know, people... I say the, the opposite. People like the look of both of them. But Ebony Bridges, I think, is it's fair to say, is a lot more out there. I think Sky Nicholson's a lot more reserved. I, I believe she's moved to the UK now and is training full-time over here. Ebony Bridges seems to kind of go here, there, and everywhere. And by the way, Ebony Bridges actually blocked uh, Boxar Podcast recently on Twitter, and I'm not sure why. So, um, yeah. Sky Nicholson, I think, is the more professional uh, if I have to put my neck on the line, which I will. Uh, so, yeah. 
Mark Castro as well on the card. 5-0 and in a six-rounder against Julio Madeira, who's 3-1. and We've got Diego Pacheco, 13-0 and in an eight-rounder against Genk Pilana, who is 9-3 and with a draw. That one's over eight rounds there. Um... I want to see him stepped up. We hear great things about Pacheco. Still very young, but, you know, I'm seeing a lot of these opponents that all have similar-looking records. Nine and three, eight and five, those kind of guys, you know. Um, Solomon Sissoko, 14 and 0. I'm wondering if he's still being managed. I think he was being managed at one point by Anthony Joshua. I'm not sure if that's still going on or if it's even the same guy. Um, anyways, this one's for the WBA Intercontinental Super Welterweight title. He gets in with Roberto Valenzuela Jr., 23-2. and two. We've got Angel Fierro, 19-1 with a draw, fighting for the WBO NABO lightweight title against Juan Carlos Borgos, who's 30 and... Uh, sorry, 34-6-2. We've got Maurizio Lara. Uh, this is the first time we've seen him since his... Um, I'm not sure if it ended in a no contest or... Or or a um, or a what do they call it? A draw? The, the, what do they call that again? Um, technical draw. I'm not sure if it was a technical draw or a no contest with Josh Warrington, but he's out here, 23 and two with a draw in a 10 rounder against Emilio Sanchez, who's 19 and one. And the main event is a fantastic fight. Uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, 50 and three. Fighting Julio Cesar Martinez, 18-1, and one, over 12 rounds. I thought there was going to be a belt on the line, but it looks like there's no belt on the line here. Uh, the fabulous thing about this is that Chocolatito, of course, was going to be fighting in a rematch with um, Estrada, wasn't it? Uh, which was a fabulous fight of last year, but he was going to be having the rematch with him. And, and I'm not sure why he pulled out the fight. It might have been COVID, but in stepped Julio Martinez, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, who of course is the WBC flyweight world champion, so he's moved up here um, to Superfly for this one. Um, and I thought that Roman Gonzalez had a world title, but no, he lost a split decision to Estrada, so no belt on the line. But it's going to be very, very, very interesting because the last couple fights, I got to say it, Julio Cesar Martinez, even though he's like a wrecking ball, and he really, really is. If you've ever seen him fight, he's just a hundred miles an hour and he throws every punch with mean intentions hasn't really looked as as dangerous as he did maybe uh three years ago something like that two three years ago you know when when he had the fight with andrew selby had the fight with charlie edwards the fight with christopher rosales he had the fight with jay harris and that kind of was i think a little bit of the turning point really went the distance with harris which was a bit of a shock harris performed out of his skin um but then since then he had a kind of low level fight against moises Cayeros, beat him early and then the fight after that it took him a few rounds to get rid of joel cordova some people were a bit annoyed banking on the early knockout it didn't happen then of course in his last fight against mcwilliams arroyo it ended in a no contest uh because arroyo you know, couldn't continue because of an accidental headbutt, whether or not you believe him or if he was putting it on, we don't know. But he was also down himself in the first round and that was a shock as well. So I'm not sure if kind of the, the you know, the in-your-face blow-for-blow style has burned him out a little bit, just a little bit. 
we, we're going to see, though. You know, he's moving up a weight here, and he's getting in with Roman Gonzalez, who, again, some people thought was way over the hill six years ago, but seems to be pulling out brilliant performances again. He's found some kind of second wind in his career, and he can really punch as well. So it's going to be very interesting. You've got to watch that fight and, and, and pay respect, really, to the little men there at Super Flyweight. But that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the review part. It was quite long. I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing now if it was a bit too long for you. I do apologize. I just had to make myself clear about the Catterall-Taylor stuff. Uh, then we welcomed our special guest, which, of course, is former super lightweight WBA world champion Regis Progray. And then in part two, we did the news, and I've just wrapped up the preview part there. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 333 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A big thank you to our special guest on this week's show, the former WBA super lightweight world champion, Regis Progray. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners, once again. I do just want to throw in a, a quick side note. The interview with Regis was recorded about 10 days ago, so that's why nothing got mentioned about Josh Taylor's fight at the weekend, and I'm annoyed now. Now, of course, because I would have loved to hear his opinion on it, but I guess I just never really gave Catterall a chance and therefore didn't see any problem with holding back the interview for a week when I wasn't sure uh, who to get on as a guest. So apologies for that. But yeah, that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall see you all again next week.